Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 259. Just don't leave me behind, okay? This week we're discussing season 5, episode 17 of Angel, Underneath, and episode 2 of The Fades. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, Angel, episode 17, Underneath, is where we're starting. Wanted to start with a few production notes, very like minor kind of cast-related things, but I think things that I noticed, so they're probably worth bringing up um, in the kind of behind-the-scenes aspect of things. Um, first of all, Adam Baldwin. Um, the uh, the Firefly yeah. diaspora continues. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of talented Whedon-y actors in need of paychecks <laughs> migrating over sure. to these shows. I'm teasing. They're all very good, but... Well, and especially since Knox was just killed off. It's like, all right, we gave him a few episodes. Right. Now. Who else? Anybody else? Uh, okay. What What's uh, Jonathan Woodward or whatever his yeah, name right, is? Yeah, right, right. Um, yeah, very different role for Adam Baldwin um, from, from Jane. You know, I, he's not an actor that I've seen in a ton of things other than Firefly. So it's like, well, I only really think of him as Jane. So... Um, sure. So it, it's it's one of those things where it's a little strange to see him in a suit, kind of being slick and yeah. Yeah, sure. I definitely get that in relation to Jane, and Jane is iconic, so of course that totally makes sense. Um, however, I will say. Adam Baldwin was also in the X-Files. Which I haven't And seen. in the X-Files, he played this super soldier guy. Uh, well, like a former Marine kind of guy that did wear suits and like went around like knocking down doors and stuff. So it actually is almost more of a throwback in some respects to like that earlier sure uh character that he played um but yeah just definitely um I, I can definitely see how if jane is your only real uh experience with him you know it would it would definitely i mean you're absolutely right that it's a different role there just if you've seen x-files and have seen him in that uh role then there's there's uh, a similarity yeah. yeah yeah there is some other you, you there there is some precedent i guess for how he kind of plays yeah. the guy here and and very much that like silent kind of terminator-esque you know yeah, something kind of yeah, terminator the, 2 about him you know yeah um um anyway so yeah yeah definitely uh i enjoy that moment of in eve's apartment there where like the door gets kind of kicked or you know burst in and he just kind of comes in silently with a suit and um yeah i love how that's played too like the very sort of like it does have that um especially like well <laughs> speaking of the x-files connection especially in uh 
is it Terminator 2 then where it's um oh what's the actor's name well he plays John Doggett in X-Files and I can't think of his name uh now in, I can't uh, help you with the X-Files references no no but you've seen you've seen the other Terminator right with like the liquid yeah yeah guy. that's what I'm thinking of oh okay you weren't thinking of the other of like the original no you he kind of reminds me of the of the liquidy yeah. guy in the second one like yeah. that there's i mean maybe just physically but there's something um so that that actor him. is also in x files gotcha. <laughs> later in the later season yeah. but anyway so all that to say that like yeah okay so that's right just the silent sort mm-hmm. of you know tenacious uh yeah. machine you know, yeah going after whoever yeah and you have like but like corporate you know so that's i think the bit that sure. um i wouldn't you know if i kind of thought of who do you you know if we need a new corporate representative of the senior partners um adam baldwin wouldn't be having only seen him as jane i wouldn't have um he wouldn't have leapt to mind for me so it's kind of interesting to see him like i mean he has this kind of Terminator, you know, relentless machine quality, but he also is this new middle management figure, um, which is right. not necessarily what you associate with those kinds of characters. So I'm interested to kind of see a little more where that goes and how those two things are combined in the character. Yeah. Although, and like, I mean, Maybe we shouldn't get too much into the character quite yet, but like when he first is bursting in, you don't necessarily know that he is no, no, new liaison or anything. No, you're not yeah. focused on how's he dressed and why is he. You're more kind of like a scary person who can break down a door. Like, right. let's run, you like know, some, <laughs> which is what they some do. Some kind of a assa- yeah. assassin or even um, like the operative, maybe from Serenity. Right. You right. know what I mean? Like that, more like no nonsense like no nonsense just here to do like a single job mm-hmm. um aspect to it not not so much yeah i'm the new liaison mm-hmm. guy right <laughs> yep yeah all right well, well we'll come back so, to him i'm sure um so yeah sorry go ahead so yeah another couple things i noticed in the credits was the promotion of Mercedes McNabb. Um, and both of these, I'm glad I paid attention the second time through because I completely didn't miss them on the first watch. And on the second, I noticed that Harmony was uh, in the credits finally. And um, Amy Acker, they swap in some shots of Illyria instead of Fred, which I feel like further solidifies this the you know the the many signals they're giving that this is a permanent change that's being made that you know which i feel like or or at least long term i mean i would there's only like five episodes left. I, that's true <laughs> did people know that at the time that there were only five episodes left um we can talk when we get to the end about okay. timeline of cancellation and sure. stuff i think um actually I think we brought up that when a hole in the wall, hole in the world, not the wall, <laughs> much bigger hole. All in all, um, it's just, you know. <laughs> yeah, a hole in the world aired. 
was the first episode that aired when they knew um, right. that the series had been canceled. Right. So by the time they were viewing this, yes. Uh, by the time they were making it, right. though, right. no. Right. So, so which I feel like that's the, like, like, which of those do we go by? I guess if you're talking about when they're making the credits. Right. That's, you know, post-production stuff. I would assume would have been done before the call had mm-hmm. been made, but yeah, um, yeah. So I can't say for sure. I I mean I we don't we never know how we would have thought or reacted if we were like in the original audience for these things. I feel like as a viewer, I would probably still be in denial or expecting or hoping that there would be some sort of resurrection of Fred. And so I feel like um, it's notable then that. Um, and boy, do they play with those hopes. In the sure, episode. sure, sure. <laughs> right. And so they're playing with you a bit. Like they're giving you, they're teasing you. In both. It's not like they want you to forget Fred or to stop missing her or, you know, not wish that that hadn't happened to her. But at the same time. Mm-hmm there are those changes like with the credits that kind of subliminally let you know this is, if not a permanent, at least a long-term thing. You know, we're not just going to go and redo the credits to reflect like a three episode story arc, you know, like this is something that's going to have implications for the foreseeable future, which turned out to be not that long. So, um, yeah, I feel like it's just kind of, it, it further, I don't know, like suggests that, yeah, Fred's not, not coming back. Um, not in this season anyway, or not in the TV show. Um, so yeah, that was very notable. Um, yeah. So the one final thing is I think we've, noted a few times at least kind of when writers kind of have their last episode um and so we get that here with uh elizabeth craft and sarah fain um who joined angel uh in the beginning of the fourth season um which maybe is unfortunate for them in retrospect um but yeah, I mean, I think they've had, you know, some decent episodes overall, but this is this is kind of their last one. We're getting down to the last, um, you know, including including this episode, the last half dozen or so. So we're pretty much getting the, the final hurrahs from some of these writers mm-hmm. who we've seen, um, at least for a few seasons. Um, I think some of the last the last few we've seen kind of through not just Angel, but Buffy as well. And yeah. so um, definitely... Uh, just kind of noting noting this is their last hurrah and yeah I mean I don't know that there's any any of their particular I'd have to go back and look like at precisely what list of episodes they wrote together I mean I think they've done a lot of good serviceable episodes but I don't know that there's any standout ones Um, they did do harm's way which is the harmony focused episode which is kind of fun Mm. You know, um, whatever their um, shiny happy people, which is also another like little different episode. If you remember that one, where it's 
kind of the height of the Jasminites, mm-hmm. you know, uh, cult um, and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like they're decent writers. I don't, but again, I don't know that there's any that I would pick out as right. like absolutely being like outstanding, favorites or whatever, you know, yeah. or whatever, but um, kind of, yeah, just noting this is their, their final one and kind of getting mm-hmm. that um, send off. Yeah. Here. Right. Yeah. Coming, coming to the end. Um, cool. All right. So for the discussion, I want to start with kind of the check-in of where are we now? Um, each, I feel like each episode this season, it's sort of, let's take stock of the mood of the group and everything. And this one is sort of defined by this, um, this conference, uh, you know, meeting that nobody turns up for. Um, And sort of that in itself kind of embodying the way that they're completely scattered and everybody's sort of trapped in their own heads and with their own problems and issues and things that they're struggling through. Um, I thought it was a good point last episode that, you know, we kind of realized each of them was in their own way closest to Fred more than they were close to each other. Um, Yeah. You know, and so with her gone as the glue of the group, um, of course, everybody, you know, scatters. There's like this, you know, reaction to like the center of gravity, you know, has not, is no longer holding and, and things are falling apart as they do. Um, so yeah, Angel calls a meeting and and nobody bothers to turn up. Um except for Spike. <laughs> Which is like right. a notable inversion. Like normally the group is sort of Angel Investigations is you know, hanging together fairly well and then you have Spike as this sort of grouchy non-participating outsider kind of hovering around, you know, the out like you know hovering outside the room but not really one of them um and so now here finally just as everybody says uh, forget it you know we're off just taking care of ourselves um spike that's when he shows up ready to be a proper member of the team and looking for right assignments and agendas and a purpose and, and, and ready this- to fight for the good guys Right. This is after like his his big decision, right? Like of there, you know, he he's he's not gonna leave. Like he's he's now after hemming and hawing for you know two thirds of the season, yeah. um, you know, he's now finally ready to settle down and be part of the team. Um, and of course, he's the one who brings the briefcase with beer in it, yeah, yeah. right? Like like he doesn't actually have work. It's just. Oh, you know, you're going to the office. You bring a briefcase, but what do you put in it? Well, yeah, beer. Make I it guess, thirsty. It's fine. Yeah. Um, um. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So it's just an interesting kind of inversion, and I feel like with the united purpose of Fred, like something that Angel and Spike both genuinely care about. They're getting along a lot better these last few episodes. Like, this is actually 
you know, if there's uh, unintended benefits from the current crisis that they're in, like they actually are working as a pretty unified team, um, mm -hmm. you know, and like, not that they don't still continue to like needle each other and bicker and everything, but uh, it seems to be making a difference in terms of their ability to tolerate one another. Um, so the other thing I wanted to spend a few minutes on is Lauren's monologue to the bartender, um, which I liked and was interested in and ended up like writing down like most of the whole thing. Cause it just like kept going and I'm thinking like, where can I cut this off? And I'm like, no, I can't, I have to, there's no, it, it's kind of like you have to take the whole thing. There's no piece of it that really, you know, isn't important. So kind of starting with um, being in a very Fred-like way, I feel like she's said things like this, but being tired of being chipper and um, wearing bells on his toes and making like everything's okay. And it's pathetic that he's too scared and sad to tell people the truth. So he just tells them what they want to hear. And so that kind of makes you wonder like, in his capacity as kind of bartender slash therapist, like how many times in guiding people to their path has he told them what they wanted to hear rather than always strictly telling them the truth of what their path is. Um, mm. And, you know, most of all the term happy hour should be banned from the English language. There's nothing happy about this or any other hour. Um, and kind of talks about his you know, depression when he realizes that Fred was about to die. And, you know, every time I get to the bottom of the glass, I hope that the last drop is going to take me the distance. Um, and then kind of circles back around to this, what am I going to do about it? Going to heave my tuchus off the stool, strap the bells on, and with a smile and a quip, go back into the belly of a very ugly beast and pretend like I can help, because that's what the green man does. So it's kind of this hopeless determination like determination to do something even if the thing he is capable of doing kind of pulling everybody else out of the dumps and giving them hope is the thing that he struggles to believe in himself um mm -hmm. so that's sort of Lauren's dilemma um which is like I don't know that that's solved in this episode, like in deciding to kind of go back and put the bells on that doesn't necessarily take care of his struggles. If everybody's off kind of dealing with their own issues, um, you know, he's kind of decided, well, the only way to help everybody else is to deny my own pain, my own frustration. So it's like, it's like, I'm happy to have him back, but also like, Lauren, like self-care. You gotta like, take yourself away sometimes too, you know? I'm not sure that like his grief for Fred is, is resolved. I mean, it's certainly not resolved, but I'm not sure whether this sure. is the answer or not. Um, sure, although I do, I do think, well, 
so because we should contrast that with what Angel says to Gunn, though, as well, because I feel like there's another there's a similar situation there. And I think. I think it's a matter of degrees, but there there is that sense of like. Is being away. Yeah, helping you to recover like you're kind of talking about with self-care or is it, you know, abstaining from the fight sort of in a in a way that, you know, you're just sort of like giving into fear or, you know, I think in Lauren's case, it's not so much fear as like um, disillusionment, maybe, or, you know, something you know, something along the lines of like, is it worth it or whatever? And I, and I do think that like, I mean, I think it's sort of a Whedon thing, but like, even like particularly an angel, I would say that there's this thing of like, even when you know you're not going to win, mm-hmm. the fight itself is still worth mm-hmm. fighting. And so, I mean... You know, as we come down to the last half dozen episodes here, like, let's keep that in mind. Like, I, I, because I agree with you that, like, there is that sense of, like, I don't disagree that, like, there's a, you know, there's a time and place for looking out for yourself first and whatever. But also, you know, I think kind of the running, one of the running themes is, you know, that there's a balance there between, you know, looking out for yourself and running mm-hmm. away. Um, right. And, and so finding I, the line is the trick. Yeah. yeah. And it's not an easy line to find. And I think people play with it and go back and forth all the time in, in these shows. So, um, yeah, I think here it's sort of Lauren recognizing like, all right, like I came here, I drank some sea breezes, I'm frustrated like it doesn't take away his frustration at mm-hmm. all but it it it's like okay like I you know got out and at least at least I'm back to a point where I'm healed enough that I can jump back into the fray as far as you know doing what he mm-hmm. does which is to lift other spirits so yeah I like I don't disagree with anything you said but I I do think that that's sort of a common mm-hmm. Or, or at least a repeated theme of, yes. you know, even when you, I mean, it's, it's the long defeat in yeah. a way, yeah. right? Like it's, it's that idea of, you know, even though, you know, in the long grand scheme of things, long-term grand scheme of things, there's no way that you're going to win. There's still... Uh, what's the what's the quote? What's the other quote from Angel that you come back to? You know, you, um, right? That like all if, that matters if, is what we do. If, yeah, yeah. If nothing you do matters, and all that matters is what you do, right? Um, or if not, yeah. If nothing you do matters, then all that matters is what you do. So, yeah. It and I don't think it's quite the same as what Lauren is saying here, but it is that sense of like, okay. I took a breath. I licked my wounds. I had some drinks. Now, right. Let's get right. back into, you know, helping out. Um, also, the thing that he doesn't say here, which is, you know, the thing that I think you pointed out, or at least we talked about, 
last time too was kind of his role in the you know torture kind of of mm-hmm. eve you know like or at least the the threat of torture mm-hmm. of eve um and you know that's not who he is like he's not the big tough pylean right like he's not the hunter and the warrior and champion you know guy he's, yeah you know he's the one who listens to people and empathizes and you know all of that um he doesn't right, bring right. that how up specifically you, here, but maybe somebody there's... somebody when you agree with their point of view, that line? Sure. Right. Um, right, so that's that could be part of the, you know, the trauma as well is, is kind of the moment of realizing what... Um, it, the discomfort with where he was willing to go in you know in kind of reaction to what was happening to fred um yeah 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 and i think in the rest of this episode like you know we get this kind of big soul-searching monologue to the bartender but he doesn't express any of these things to the others you know he kind of again, for better or for worse, or because that's what he needs to do, he kind of keeps those feelings to himself. And when he does go back to the group, he is pretty much all in on helping and trying to protect Eve and, you know, getting her away from what seems to be a threat to her life. Um, So, like, he does kind of throw himself completely back into the mix yeah um which i think all of them do with this possible exception of the whole wesley illyria thing which is they're just completely off on their own um but angel and spike and gun and lauren all in their own way kind of come back from wherever they were you know in the depths of despair they kind of find a way to keep fighting and be proactive again in this episode. Mm-hmm. So I guess let's talk about the Lindsay plot, because that's really kind of where, um, especially the angel spike energy shifts, um, you know, rather kind of changing tactics away from what are we going to do directly about Illyria? it kind of becomes a broader question of what can we find out about the senior partners and sort of their plan for everything. But if they're kind of behind the scenes manipulating all of these events and allowing these terrible things to happen, we really need to know what their motivations are and their, and their end game and their plan and everything. Um, and so, you know, Eve kind of tells them, well, you know, you could have found out all about it, but you got, you know, your guy sent to a hell dimension. Um, you know, never mind the fact that, of course they did, because the dude was, like, trying to kill them. But, like, you know. Yeah. Well, and then you find out that it's this, it's not just, like, a hell dimension, but it's, like, specifically a holding area for Wolfram and Hart, right? Right, like, it's not even a hell dimension. It's this limbo. 
that he's in. Yeah. Um, that that they created though is yes, kind of the right. implication. Right. Um, right, because they're not sure what to do with him yet. I guess is sort of the idea. Um, and yeah. kind of why is that? You know, it kind of begs the question: like, why not just send Lindsay to a literal hell dimension? Um, I don't know the answer to that question. Like, what? You know, sure. I mean, like, I mean, we know he has information, but does he have information that the senior partners don't have? Um, I don't know that we really find out for sure exactly why he's in this place rather than banished right. to some sort of demonic wasteland. Yeah, I mean. I don't know if we get an answer, so I'm going to sure. give my impression um, and we'll see if I am okay. right. Because I don't actually remember. Okay. If, like, without spoiling anything about Gun or anything, mm -hmm. what may or may not happen with him, um, I'll just say, like, my impression is that it's a control thing. Mm. Like... You know, Wolfram and Hart. I mean, it's easy to forget, right? That, like, they're not just LA-based, right? So they're worldwide, but also, like, interdimensional themselves. So, like, I mean, we see this sort of, like, what's the what's the planet from um, Wrinkle in Time? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I'm going to add you know, this like, to our... Growing list along with the uh, Edward Scissorhands and Wrinkle in Times of like creepy homogenous suburbia. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, and um, well, and like Stepford. Yes, Wives, yes, kind of, yeah. right. Like would be another yeah. one to add to there. So right, another yeah, suburban like, gothic neighborhood. But like, this is a whole dimension. So you can imagine, like, maybe there's other like communities that are like you know, for some creatures from some other dimension that offended Wolfram and Hart at some yeah. point, you know. So, like, you know, we see this one little, you know, part of it, but we don't necessarily know, like, like, you you could just imagine millions or billions of people, creatures, beings, you know, of different sorts kind of being all imprisoned here. And, and that would be, my guess is that, like, I mean, not that it's easy per se, but we've seen how some of the characters in these shows that we have followed, you know, can sort of go from dimension to dimension fairly, you know, somewhat easily <laughs> um, given the right circumstances and, and knowledge. Um, I mean, and even here, like, again, easy might not be the entirely correct term but like they do manage to get you know Lindsay out now that they have to leave someone behind in order to mm -hmm. do that but you know it there is that thing of like even in this you know place that Wolfram and Hart controls like they can't control everything mm -hmm. and so you know that would just be my guess is that it's this sort of like if you kill him you know, maybe there's a way to, like, kill his soul, too. But, like, Lindsay is a former Wolfram and Hart employee. Like, 
does he have a contract at you know some point like does killing him actually like get rid of him as a problem like maybe he's thought of ways to you know fix his contract so that like if you kill him something bad happens so maybe they don't want maybe until they're sure that like there's no like dead man switch you know um you know they don't want to outright kill him and we don't also see like what are the details of sort of the implied torture that he goes through on a daily right. basis. Right, no, we don't. Like, and given his sort of amnesia, it's hard to know, like, is that, like, do they take off that necklace or whatever that he wears that gives him the amnesia when he's being tortured to try to get information out of him or not? You know, we don't we don't really see any of that. So that could be part of it. So that would that's just sort of my... Mm-hmm interpretate or i mean interpretation is probably too strong like yeah like educated guess maybe at mm-hmm. why i think they would bother to create their own sort of hell dimension holding mm-hmm. tank for these people um but yeah i don't I mean, yeah that's all a lot of that's just sort of me guessing mm-hmm stuff at this point because i really don't remember if we get that level of detail about the place sure yeah no and that's and that's fine um yeah it totally makes sense to me why they would have a place like this um i i i think the the question you know which may never be answered is kind of why is is Lindsay there specifically um, but yeah, I mean, he has either more information that they need or plans in place that they need access to, you know, there is some reason why not just, you know, destroy him utterly. So, um, I mean, the, the other piece of it is Eve, right? Like mm-hmm. until the end of this episode, when she kind of signs everything away. There's also maybe a part of like, oh, we need to figure out what she knows as well. Right. And she is still um, protected by the by the charms around the house, you know, the kind of mm-hmm. symbols. And and then by Angel after right, that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so no, it was kind of um funny to see after watching like a few movies lately with uh you know these sorts of seemingly beautiful pastoral suburban you know ideal white bread neighborhoods and then to kind of have this um gothic violent underbelly you know kind of lurking just outside of the you know your comfort zone it's kind of you know, it's funny to see that's falling into the tradition. Um, you know, and the, whether or not he remembers, I guess he doesn't because of the amulet, but he has some sense that he doesn't want to go down into the basement, you know, like you know, if they, re- if they put the amulet back on him at the end of his torture sessions, he retains some traces of unpleasantness, you know? So part of the torture is like, the being sent to the basement when you know this is not going to be good. Um, 
So it's not just yeah, the, the but physical also, torture, like, but like the under there's a psychological element there too of I know yeah. something is bad, but I don't know what. Right. Like not not quite knowing, just having that bad feeling right. of Right. And and that this life is as Angel says, this life is a lie. That you know, there has to be a, a lurking sense even in his happy moments that this isn't real this isn't genuine there's something not right here so um so like yeah there, there the whole thing there's if there's either a psychological or a physical element of torture going on kind of all the time um mm -hmm. yeah and then the whole neighborhood attacks them with machine guns so that's bad too um <laughs> including his including son. the son and like the milkman and like all the neighbors and yeah. yeah um so yeah anything else about like the kind of hell dimension itself um i'm not sure that i have any other yeah no i guess or anything so yeah it's it's the wife and the son and the milkman and the postman, right? Is it the neighbors too? Because like, I guess what I'm not clear on is like, how many, like, is this like, like, I guess I just sort of took it to be that all of the like, all of the guys going the out to get the paper like in the, the morning are like the ones who right. are being tortured in the basement. But, but I guess it could just be I all for Lindsay. I don't remember if any of I the neighbors it was just like the. In, but, I, sort of the civil servants and like the the right. other ho household members. Right. No, you might be right. Um, and it definitely did occur to me, like, what if all of the the husbands who go out and pick up their papers in unison are trapped here? You know, and like it's, yeah, it's the I family members. Like, I'd are, have to go back and see. Like, are they all wearing necklaces? Maybe and like similar to I his. Don't remember. Like, yeah, I don't remember. No, I'd have to go look. Yeah, there's definitely people from outside involved in the attack, but I can't remember if it's just if it includes any of the neighbors or whether it's just like the postman or all that. Um, yeah. Um, let's talk about gun. Um, because we get this kind of moment of exchange here where, you know, I don't know if that's... In the hospital or... Well, kind of leading up to the ending, kind of starting with, with the hospital and leading up to this decision. Um, you know, and Angel gives him sort of what you were saying about... I see what you're saying earlier about the the similarity between Gunn's thought process and Lorne's because that's kind of behind Angel's pep talk is this idea of like, well, you can't really atone in the sense of undoing what's been done. And you're going to feel guilty and you should if you're a halfway decent person. You know, if you didn't feel guilty, 
then that would say something about you that would not be very good. So your ability to feel um, remorse is a big part of your humanity. Um, and then there's also this idea of do what you can. So it doesn't help anybody to deny that you did what you did. You did it and now you have all this knowledge. So use it to help us. You know, you paid a high price for what's in that brain. So use that to contribute to finding a solution. Um, so that's what he does. And, you know, and kind of comes to this realization of there's some sort of, you know, unspoken fairy tale rule of exchange or substitution here that, you know, in order we can escape with Lindsay if we leave something behind that, you know, whether that's because that's just the rules and, and that's the way they are, or because I don't know whether that tricks the senior partners in any way, like, you know, I, that's an interesting question to me going forward is like, do they realize that a swap has been made? Um, or is it like, as long as we leave somebody behind, they can't necessarily detect what happened. Um, yeah. I mean, Marcus knows. That's true. And I hadn't so thought about that. I, I don't think that I don't think it's a matter of like tricking the senior partners insofar as like they don't know. It's not like, you know, the warden of the jail doesn't know that like someone escaped. Mm -hmm. It's more like as long as they have the right head. As long count. as you're willing to pay the price. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like as long like we had 300 prisoners this morning. And we have 300 prisoners now. If they're not the same prisoners, that doesn't matter. Bure bureaucratically, like, right. it all works out. <laughs> like, as long as we have our 300 yeah. prisoners. <laughs> or whatever number, right? right? right. So, I, well, like, that's kind of the sense that I get from from yeah. the way that it works. And, and also, like, yeah... With any sort of these higher beings, it's also there. Also, there always seems to be a mat a matter of like we control things, but also sometimes it's worth just watching and seeing how things pan out. Like, mm -hmm. oh, this is maybe an audible we weren't considering. Like, let's see what happens when Angel's team doesn't have gun anymore. Like, maybe that actually works out better for us than holding Lindsay. Yeah. You know in check and so yeah like i said i don't want to get too far, far down i mean we can talk about gun in this episode i don't want mm -hmm. to you know think about him in the future yeah, yeah. at all but i like i don't think we have the sense like we did with like we do with fred that we're never gonna see gun again. yeah no 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 i don't um, expect that um it it seems like more of an expediency that angel's like okay fine like this is the way we need to do to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish right now. Yeah, but in the next episode, it's going to be, all right, how do we get gone back? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you would expect yes. it. I, won't I mean, whether or not or deny, that's, that's yeah. my, that, you know, um, that's my very safe prediction. Um, 
Well, and and I'll acknowledge that I've already said, and whether you remember this or not, I've already said that like Gun is with us the rest of the series. Sure. <laughs> so like, sure. like you know, maybe I've already spoiled that for us, but you know, yeah, I don't think. I don't think that's a huge spoiler if it is to say that like we'll see gun in some capacity again. Yeah. Yeah. Um right. And I mean it also kind of fits with this whole especially with relates to gun, but the senior partners in general this kind of very like mercenary way of going about things that like it really is all just about their you know, meeting their end goals and, you know, like, what are the kind of, I don't know, the the best possible exchange that they can make and, like, do they really care so much that, like you said, who's in this place? As long as, like, it fits the kind of the laws that we've set up, um, that's fine. And it might be just as interesting to kind of see what comes out of Gunn being there as anybody else. And as long as they, you know, as long as Angel and co follow the rules of the contracts, um, then they're fine because the contracts and the laws are sort of written to be shady and double dealing anyway. Um, so you can rescue people from this holding cell as long as you pay the price for it. Um, you know, kind of just as there's a price for everything gun, that's how he got his upgrades. Um, you know, you can have anything. It's just that there's going to be a cost and if you're willing to pay it, then you'll get what you want. Um, even if you regret it later, uh, or you don't fully understand what it is you're buying. So just the idea of there being kind of this very, in the end, straightforward solution to something kind of seems to make sense with Wolfram and Hart. Um, yeah, so Gunn stays behind to, you know, do his version of Atonement, and we'll see. Yeah, I fully expect the next episode to start with the angels saying, all right. Gun, like, how are we going to deal with Gun? Although I did like, you know, again, with Lauren, his little, uh, uh, you never leave a man, oh, I guess we do. That's what we do now, you know? And kind of the hollow realization of we're another person down. And, like, yet again, somebody got left behind that we couldn't, save there's somebody who we couldn't find a way around rescuing um so yeah what else do we need to cover with eve um we kind of mentioned her protection um we find out yeah. that she's, you know, immortal and a child of the senior partners, which, again, we still don't entirely know what that means. Um, <laughs> yes, but but that's also taken away from Yes, her. right. So, so it's like, not like a literal child in the sense. Contractually yeah, yeah. immortal, but not like 
it's not a part of who she right. is once she sort of signs over her right. whatever. And so it's also curious to know, like, does she know who Marcus is, like, the whole time? Right? Like, it seems like she does to me. Like, because once he's like, yeah, like, is she hoping that maybe, like, Angel will kill yeah. him or something? And if so, like... I kind of think so, yeah. Yeah, whatever. But, like... Yeah, I, th- I think Yeah, she, once he shows up, she kind of knows the jig, exactly what she needs to do. The jig is up. And she has the sulkiness of being m- caught in, like, yeah, it's bad, but she's she's kind of more annoyed than anything else. Like... You know, it it was more like if I act scared, and he certainly seems scary, they're going to defend me. And hey, if they take him out, great. But um, but it's more, I, I the tone of her kind of signing the contract at the end is more like petulance than anything else. Like this kind of like, yeah. oh yeah. man, like. Uh, busted and like you know like well technically I said that he was gonna kill me but only because now I'm mortal and will die in like 50 years you know right. um yeah sure I mean or sooner or sooner like... and yeah and I'm not saying that that doesn't that's not a, a true threat necessarily but it's not the immediate threat that I, she was definitely right. she's definitely playing it up to get the others to fight for her which they did and it's unclear so this whole um uh was it rapio salve uh thing that you know gun tells angel about where he can protect you know an employee or whatever it's not clear what her status is now mm-hmm. like does that take away angel's ability to protect her at least in that particular way yeah. um or, like, does she continue to still be an employee of Wolfram and Hart, even if that particular liaison ship is, you know, no longer mm-hmm. valid? It's not. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, 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 and Lindsay also, as so, well. You know, he doesn't have his tattoos anymore. It seems like they're both kind of well, Lindsay vulnerable at this point. Well, Lindsay quit Wolfram and Hart. So it's not clear, like, to what extent I mean, can you quit Wolfram and Hart? Like he left, right, years ago. And that's not clear like entirely what, you know, his status is as a sort of ex employee. Um they clearly seem to have some ability to control him by sending him to this holding dimension. So maybe maybe there's some other you know, things sort of that he needs to worry about. Um, yeah. And so what else, there was some, something else I was going to say, and I can't remember what it was off the top of my head. Um, but yeah. Oh, so with, um, so liaison. So we, you know, we get the transition from Eve to Marcus here, mm-hmm. which, all right, like Eve wasn't, in hindsight, the most trustworthy liaison, right? Because we find out that she was manipulating all along. But, like, there is a devil-you-know aspect Mm -hmm. to it as well. 
like when they didn't know and didn't trust Eve, like, and kind of knew the extent to which she was playing them, um, you know, as they discovered over time, like, yeah, now it's like this whole new person and, you know, they don't necessarily know what his motivations and, you know, potential right. issues will be. Um, right. Well, and like, on, top, on top of that, they lose Gunn. Right. Who had access to the conduit right. you know which was another way at least to get in touch with the senior partners and now that's gone mm-hmm. so will someone else on the team be able to access the conduit it's hard to say mm-hmm. like what you know where that where that will happen yeah well and the thing about eve was she wasn't really she was manip- manipulating angel and group and wasn't really on their side, but it turns out she wasn't really on the senior partner side either. So, whereas, like, this guy, Marcus... Because nobody's on her side. Whereas this guy, Marcus, I mean, we don't know. He could be completely, you know, going rogue as well, but seems like the implication, at least right now, is he's a complete strong man for the senior partners. Um, that, that you get we, the sense that they're not going to make the same mistake. He twice. is loyal, and he's going to, you know, use his his methods to communicate and enforce their will a little more strongly than his predecessor. So, um, yeah, she was not necessarily trustworthy, but she also wasn't. Uh, a complete toady either for the senior partners. Um, so yeah, they don't really know what they're getting with this guy. Um, yeah. So where, where do you think Eve and Lindsay are landing kind of at the end here and like the others in relation to that? Um, I think that there is, good as the information they have you know so like I think they're vulnerable you know without Wolfram and Hart contracts and jobs and tattoos to protect them they can kind of just be magically scooped up whenever you know the senior partners want you know to take them away so um you know to what extent I, I mean, I think if their intel is good, then Angel and, and the others will be motivated to find a way to protect them, um, which I'm sure Angel will love. So, I mean, right now it's very kind of, we can talk about the revelation that Lindsay gives that, you know, the apocalypse is coming. Um, no, the apocalypse. And, you right. know... But that's a very general statement, you know, like, okay, tell me something I don't know. Um, so I think kind of what specific details does he have, that's kind of what keeps him in the game and keeps him safe, um, you know, both with Angel and with the senior partners, potentially. We don't know what Lindsay knows that they don't even know yet. So... I guess it's all about the details. Um, 
which I'm sure will be vague and contradictory and kind of prophetic in the like could mean five different things sort of way. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's, I don't know how many hints you want to give about what their status is, but. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I mean, I don't see. Try not to give like hints. So I'm far, curious, with like, I've never seen anything that leads me to see Lindsay as like a great ally that you'd want. Not just because he's a bad guy, but like just as a tactical thinker. Um, I feel like like his information is sort of what he has going for him. I don't. I don't see, like, Spike is someone that Angel, I feel like you could begrudgingly admit that Spike is good to have in a corner, even if you hate him. Um, I don't know that I see the same potential in, in Lindsay. Like, oh, this is a guy that, like, if we can recruit him to our side is really going to help us out. Like, I don't know. So I'm not expecting him to be like the next great sort of anti-hero ally of Wolfman, you know, the, you know, angels group or whatever, but I could be wrong about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and no, no, go ahead. I was just going to say anything else about the apocalypse. I mean, we don't get a ton from Lindsay, but not that this is the extent maybe of the information we'll get from him, but he does sort of dish out about like, Hey, there's, there's the apocalypse coming, right? Like this is the big one. This is the one that, you know, nobody knows which side angel will be on. And like, you get the sense that like the whole Shanshu prophecy is sort of in relation to this. And yeah. Um, and that in some respects it's already started. Or at least, like, the gears, you mm -hmm. know, are turning, you know, in the direction of apocalyptic events. So, um, which, when you talk about things like fate and destiny and stuff, which pop up from time to time, and these things, like, you could, like, that could be true for thousands or millions of years, right? Like, if, if like, there's this inevitable succession of events that leads to the apocalypse, then it's pretty much always true that the gears are turning right. and, you know, whatever. But um, whether we believe him or not, Lindsay at least gives a sense or implication that there's something rather urgent and, you know, timely about the mm -hmm. forthcoming apocalypse, um, like, say, within the next five to six yeah. years. Um, yeah, sometime around May, probably. Yeah, the May the May apocalypse yeah. um, will be at right around shortly. around the time that schools let out. Um, yeah, around graduation mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, we don't obviously know the details there, uh, but like we've already seen 
like just about a year ago, like we saw, you know, LA with raining fire mm-hmm. and, you know, like this kind of, you know, demons, you know, killing and whatever in the streets and, um, yeah. you know, vampires out all the time because the sun was blacked out. Yeah. And whatnot. Um, yeah. And, so if and, it's, if it's like worse than that, right. then yeah, you know, maybe we should be scared. Right. Like what, what does that mean? Right. And, and, you know, I think, um, you know, Lindsay's unreliable. So we take whatever he says with like a huge amount of salt, but you know, I think there's some points worth considering in his little speech at the end about, um, we know, like you said, from the prophecy that it's unclear what side angel will be on. Well, that's worth noticing when he's, been working for Wolfram and Hart for the past year, right? Like, you know, the he says the pistol went off and you're playing for the bad guys. Um, you're learning how to compromise and you're losing people and you're getting more and more immersed in these sort of murky gray areas. Um, and yeah, you're, you're, doing what the senior partners want you to do. So mm-hmm. take a think about that, you know, like, you yeah. know, that doesn't mean that what Lindsay tells you to do is the right thing, but that's, you know, sure. That's a hard, uh, argument to ignore in light of, and, of the prophecy and the ambiguity of that. Yeah. And going back to, you know, where does Lindsay stand on all of this? Like, cause he does like, it is interesting that Lindsay's the one sort of arguing for angel as a champion. Mm. Right. So like by saying what you're doing now is not being a champion. Mm-hmm. Champions don't do this. They do mm-hmm. this. Right. Mm-hmm. And so is that an indication that, you know, maybe Lindsay and angel could be on the same team if, you know, things if if Angel were, you know, to decide, you know, to go against Wolfram and Hart or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. is there a is there at least a common enemy kind of right. thing there, which seems seems to maybe be where they're at, but Lindsay, like Giles and Buffy and Andrew, like, seem to not fully trust Angel um in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, quickly, let's wrap up with, uh, Wesley and, I almost said Fred, but no, Wesley and Illyria, um, who of all of them are the most firmly off doing their own thing. Um, you know, which like, fair enough. And, um. You know, and, and it's mostly, or it's exclusively just talking. Um, they're not, hmm. you know, they're not doing anything. and Or at least what they're doing isn't in the form of taking action of any kind. You know, it's this kind of right. talking through these human experiences is sort of where they're occupied at the moment. Um and 
Yeah. Um, I'm not even sure where to start because it's just like a lot of discussion about grief and humanity yeah. and the world and walls. And, right. you know, it's like very like kind of. I reek of humanity. Philosophical right. uh, and, you know. Um, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that we need to go through all of it or anything. I think I think that's just it. That like there is this so, you know, from Illyria's perspective, there's you know, the the memories and, you know, feelings, I guess, of like her godness, but like trapped in a itty bitty human shell, mm -hmm. right? Um so yeah and like she even says like like because wesley's like oh you, you know could you try going to some other dimension like he's like no no but really you should try going to another dimension um and she's she's like afraid yeah right she's like if, if i do that then like i'm afraid i'm not going to be able to stand up to you know the other beings that are over there or whatever mm -hmm. um so yeah i mean it there's there's a sort of very existential crisis that Illyria is going through of um she's obviously more power powerful than like the average human but like certainly isn't at the mega god powerful mm -hmm. levels that she used to be um yeah like is she even as powerful as like glory was who was sort of trapped in a human shell mm -hmm. as well right um, not quite a shell, because, like, Ben did have his own distinct personality, and you get the sense that, like, he wasn't, like, he still had a soul and, like, had, you know, agency of his own. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't always his ability to control, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Um, but, yeah, like, that would be the closest thing, I think, to something we've had in the Buffy verse already yeah. of, yeah. you know, like a God trapped in a human body. And I don't, it's hard to say like, yeah, how powerful is Illyria and like, what can she do exactly other than like throw Wesley across the room sure, or whoever, you know, like what are, what exactly are sort of her powers and capabilities? We don't, we don't really know yet, but she, certainly seems to um, notice that they're not as great as they used to be mm -hmm. and all and and that that's not like and that that seems to be common too right like she talks about the nightmares right like oh the nightmares used to be these terrible creatures and now they're like stuck in the heads of humans and like can only sort of affect their dreams and stuff and um, right, which is a notable thing to say in in a world that still has demons and monsters, and you know, but like even sure. in in the kind of Buffy verse, which has these supernatural elements, she's still kind of drawing a con a contrast between the age of myth and you know gods and heroes that she remembers versus this kind of mundane mortal you know, like, you know, the nightmares are only in your head. Um, mm -hmm. Like, 
considering there are vampires in this story, that's kind of saying a lot, you know, that like the nightmares are only in your head. You, you know, what sure. what must things have been like when she, you know, what, she, what she's thinking of where the real right. nightmares were out in the world and walked among us and, you know, kind of were part of the waking world. Right. And so she's seeing everything in terms of this sort of, diminished you know capacity whereas yeah it, like herself and the other you know, <coughs> other you know uh you know creatures i guess like just don't have the same power and and awe or whatever inspiring uh mm -hmm. whatever that they used to be able to yeah um yeah anyway so i don't know what to say more than that just well and we have to mention that she got tired of the world of shrimp yeah <laughs> the shrimp world so i i love that like I'm tired of that quickly. that keeps come that keeps coming up as like this yeah thing right like because it was it um anya who sort of like like not even like right just hypothetically says, kind of throughout says this, yeah that there is this it's, yeah it's just like positing the types of world like you, there could even be this world of all shrimp um and then like it comes up like several times right and like now it's like not only does that exist but illyria's been there um and it wasn't worth sticking no around. no it's a bit tiresome yeah Um, yeah. I also like her line about, you know, I'm stuck here with a human who drinks too much whiskey and called me a smurf. Um, yeah. Some good exchanges between the two. Well, anything that we left out? No, I think, uh, I think we're good with this episode. Um. And yeah, like you said before, it's a lot of kind of moving pieces around. So we'll definitely get some more, you know, mm -hmm. more things to talk about. Yeah. Cool. All right. Should we move on to the fades? Let's do it. Um, yeah. So with. The fades. I mean, it's obviously a very Paul-centered episode, and I guess I don't, I don't know enough yet, but I suspect that that's going to be true going out. That sure. like this is kind of Paul's story, right? In a way, right. With... Right. This is less of an ensemble than it is an ensemble, but it's more of like we have a main character than some of these other, like even right. Buffy and Angel, are more like the weight is shared a little more equally between the supporting characters and everything. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of where I guess we'll, you know, talk through is kind of Paul and his relation to like a lot of the other characters and kind of what happens um, with a few other. So there's some stuff like specific to Mark and Neil each that I think we can talk through after 
Paul, but um, even before we get to there, I just wanted to bring up one thing that I heard in the opening, um, which is that apparently Neil and I guess Sarah and Helen, at least before they died, and, and possibly there are others, <clears throat> um, it's not entirely clear at this point, um, are called the Angelics, mm-hmm. which... I don't remember from the first episode and, and you kind of confirmed that they don't really bring it up. Um, but Mac mentions it in his sort of like, you know, bringing us up to date, right. uh, which is also an interesting ch- choice diegetically, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, or non diet like, right. Is that diegetic? Like, it's like a weird fourth wall. Right. Breaking, right. Right. Uh, it's like, thing. he's a, a YouTuber and he's, telling us what happened last week um but like in character um right yeah Yeah, it's it's kind of an odd frame um anyway all that to say that like he mentions you know the angelics and you know that and i don't the only reason i bring that up is because we get like these moments of of helen and then in this episode paul having these sort of powers i guess that you know with like lights and you know the green mile thing with the bugs coming out of the Mm -hmm. mouth and you know whatever of okay so does that mean like like is there an angel aspect like is it is this a divine thing that they have in some respect um i don't i don't know because like i don't really know why they call them the angelics like i mean we all we still don't know why they call the fades the fades um i mean i had my theory that i sort of gave last time but i don't like i don't know if that's accurate or not um so yeah anyway all that to say just wanted to mention that um we get a name at least for for the group um which which consists solely of paul and neil at this point um maybe still neil (laughs) um in the next episode i'm not i'm not entirely sure uh if uh he's gonna make it um but we'll get to that yeah so yeah i mean i'll just throw in that like i i think like in the absence of further evidence which we might get later um it seems to me that like yeah if it's angelics that's probably there's an angel connection there like certainly i think that's what you're without a a real detailed explanation of what the name means and why they're called that and what their powers are i think you're you're prompted to assume that there's some sort of angelic semi-divine thing going on with them um and like this is complete given helen's sort of outfit as a right right Yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know what quite. Yeah. Is. Yeah, and yeah. um, this is complete conjecture and cryptic on my part, but I would have. I, my impression is that there probably was some explanation that got cut from the first episode because the way that they just kind of state this in the recap. And I think in the episode, maybe I'm pretty sure they bring up the name like once really quickly in the episode, 
just the way that it's sort of thrown about as if this is a thing you're supposed to know um, seems to me like there probably was a scene where Neil or whoever said, you know, oh, we're the angelics. And then that just sort of got caught from the episode. Um, Cause otherwise that seems like a pretty significant omission. Um, so yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, that would be my guess if I was a betting person, but um, that is what they're called. And I paid attention more closely on kind of rewatch and like, yeah, it was like that definitely wasn't in there. So it's kind of interesting that they left that out. Um, anyway, yeah, I'm glad you noticed that because they'll probably use that term again. So it's good to know what they mean by it. Sure. Um, and I'm not sure that I do, but I mean, I, I mean, other than other like, than that, it, it refers it, like, as a reference. Like, for it's that like group. the Scoobies. Yes, right, right, right. It's the name of their group. Or That's whatever. what I mean. Like, um, this is the group of people that can see fades and to have some sort of magic healing powers. So far, that seems to be what it is that they can the, do. The defining qualities mm-hmm. of an angelic. Right. All right. Um, so yeah. So then, Paul. I mean, the big question uh, in this episode for him is like, who am I? Like, and what am I going to be? Am I going to be, you know, just sort of a normal teenage, you know, boy who goes around and goes to parties and tries to mack it with girls and you know whatever or am i gonna be you know an angelic who not really sure what that involves yet but you know does something with the fades and like has this sort of like outcast life that you know requires you to leave behind all family friends and potential lovers Mm -hmm. um so, yeah, I mean, and that's pretty much set up pretty quickly uh, as, like, the core, uh, you know, question of the episode. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what, what's my decision going to be? Um, so, I mean, Mac continues to be delightful in his sort of pop culture references and whatever. Um, I do like that we get a little more from him mm-hmm. um, this time, not just between him and Paul, but also with, um, you know, sort of him and Anna and Jay, like in that one scene after the principal sort of informs them of, uh, you know, not being able to hold the ball because like, you know, two boys just died or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, Matt kind of goes into his Death Star, you know, exhaust port uh, speech. Right, right. Um, Never give up hope there's always there's always a solution it, always which is yeah, interesting in, in light of all the discussion of inevitability in this episode you know of of the apocalypse and that's kind of sarah's whole thing is it's inevitable and you can't stop it and don't you see this and all that like then to have kind of mac give this little there's always an exhaust port speech you know like right well but then it's also that like not quite confident of 
you know, always probably, I think, yes. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> right. Um, and also notable that like this is before Rogue One, <laughs> where uh, we find out that the exhaust port is deliberate, right? It's a, it's a, it's a deliberate, um, uh, uh, what, you know, what would you call it? Like a, a design flaw or, mm-hmm. or, a you know, something that was put there specifically as a way to sabotage mm-hmm. the Death Star. And so it's not quite the way he describes it, but right. I mean, I do like his sort of passion and, you know, saying like, like there's every, there's always some way to circumvent, mm-hmm. you know, sort of the expected use or, you know, facility of the whatever, whatever it is you're going at. Um, right, right. So never, yeah, just, never give up hope. And if you keep fighting, maybe you'll find something. Um, um, yeah. And, and then I think the other thing with Mac um, that I want to bring up too then is in that same sort of vein of, being more than just the funny sideman mm-hmm. is, you know, his sort of realization of what's going on with his friend and providing both, well, providing support while at the same time sort of like allowing himself to maybe be, you know, vulnerable to the idea that like, even as he's supporting his friend and saying, it's good that you're special realizing that like that very specialness could mean that he gets left behind mm-hmm. and so you know he just asks him like like you know who are you like what is this thing that you're doing you know after he heals them and then just sort of that pleading like you know which we titled our episode of you know don't uh just don't leave me behind okay mm-hmm. like you know remember us little guys kind of right. in that way and which I mean, we think Paul wants to not. I don't mean like that. Paul wants to remember the little guys, but that Paul genuinely likes Mac and you know considers him a friend, and and also recognizes that like Mac's the only one who sort of notices his specialness. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, or I mean, I guess Jay might notice something about Paul as well, but right. not not in the same way that Mac does, obviously. Right. Um, and especially not when, you know, Paul sort of magically heals Well, that, I was just going to say that, like, I, I, maybe Mac was sensitive to Paul's specialness anyway, but now, like, he's fully initiated into not yeah. just, like, you thought you saw weird things and there's this kind of creepy guy hanging around. Like, sure. this, those things may or may not actually mean you're special. They could just mean you're kind of weird. But, like... Right. Right. We get finally, like he gets initiated into the supernatural aspect and kind of given proof that there is something genuinely special right. going on here that, you know, Oh, you're not just kind of not special in that. Oh, you're my friend. And I, every, of course you're, I'm going to tell you you're special, but, but actually like there is something different about you there. You have abilities. Um, Yeah. I also, with Mac, want to bring up the, um, in terms of adding to your, like, okay, fleshing him out a little more and showing that he has different facets, we get the scene with his dad, too, 
Um, right. And just, you know, even the fact that, like, we get to see his home life, that it's not just Paul's life that we see, but, like, Mac has a family, too. Um, but again, there's that sense of, you know, I think the, the don't leave me behind is significant when you're thinking about, like, abuse homes and abandonment right. and, like, right. you know, his dad is kind of scary and um, his mom sounds like she's sort of checking out, you know, when he kind of says she's left him, us, and then him, like, keeps correcting himself. Right. You know, there's that sense of, yes, she's leaving her abusive husband, but by implication, she's leaving her son as well. Um, so that kind of plays yep. into this fear of abandonment. Um, yeah, and kind of the fear sure. of what he's being abandoned to. Like, if Paul leaves and his mom leaves, like, that leaves him and his dad, which is probably not the greatest relationship ever. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, any other things with Mac? Uh, um, I mean, no, I don't you know, think, be, yeah. you know, so he, uh, you know, obviously together they, you know, volunteer to help with this ball and are willing to take the, you know, crappy jobs and mm -hmm. all of that um, just so that they can sort of hang around right. the cool crowd, right. even if it's not like with them precisely. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Right. And he so, does kind of swoop in and, and save the day with, uh, he doesn't come up with the solution, but kind of prompting them to keep thinking until they find one. So, right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I have a ton with Jay either, other than just like, yeah, there's, there seems to be some genuine liking between her and Paul, though it's hard to tell like precisely what the quality is there. Like, is this, I, I don't, I feel like the show wants us to take their relationship as genuine, but there's also part of me that looks at it as, and maybe this is just me being cynical or whatever, mm -hmm. um, that wants to take it as like, Jay's just sort of reacting to Anna's strong, overbearing sort of sure. leadership and so is there like is there a is there an aspect of this of jay just wanting to sort of rebel against anna sure. and so um, well i mean you know she she chooses yeah. paul to kind of be that thing and and maybe it's possible that both of those are true that she does actually feel some kind of genuine attraction or affection towards Paul, but also like right. wants to like assert herself against Anna. Um, and she talks about like the two sides of her of, of, you know, wanting to be the popular girl, but also kind of liking Paul, who's clearly not one of the popular guys. And, and so maybe there's an aspect of that as well. But Yeah. I think it's, I think it, it seems to be, at least right now, from what we know, I think it does seem like both are at play. Like, I think 
we are kind of prompted to take her as somewhat genuine, but nevertheless, when Aunt, when Anna comes around the corner, she's, you know, shoving Paul into the shadows of the hallway. So there's certainly yeah. an element of shame or embarrassment there of, you know, her own feelings. So whether that's, you know, whether the feelings are genuine and she's just embarrassed by them or whether she's kind of using Paul, it, I guess we'll have to kind of see exactly where she falls on that line. But, um, but there's definitely an element of um, ambivalence on her part, which like Paul's like, Hey, I get it. You know, <laughs> like right now that doesn't bother him because on the one hand, she's kind of giving him what he wants. So he's sort of, in a way, sort of yeah. doesn't mind being used if if he kind of is getting to kind of live this fantasy. And he's also like, yeah, my sister is terrifying. So if you're scared of her, like, I don't blame you. Um, but, like, that doesn't seem like an attitude that would last forever, right? Like, it, certainly sure. not, like, if you're, if you have self-respect you know for very long so um yeah exactly like how paul continues to react to that is kind of i guess we'll see about that but mm -hmm. but for right now he's sort of like hey you know if you want to use me and be afraid of anna like that makes sense yeah um and I, I, actually, I, I had Anna written down here, but I don't I don't really have anything to say about her. Just we've already talked a little bit about her and the the ball that she's trying to put together. I mean, she seems to be fairly one track mind of just like do like you know throw the parties and be the popular person and you know mm -hmm. put put down her brother. Like yeah, that's, and pretty like that's it. cruel too. Like I know we kind of talked about her in the context of like. Cordy and the mean girl trope and not that Cordy was never kind of ruthless at times but like I think Anna's pretty far along the the mean spectrum you know mm -hmm. um like going out of her way to say not just to her brother but to Mac too you know you're pathetic and you don't just like him or love him or depend on him you need him there's nothing more pathetic than needing someone like that tells you a lot about anna <laughs> you know um if that's your attitude yeah. towards relationships you know i think that's a revealing statement of her yeah yeah definitely um yeah so uh Neil obviously like wants Paul to abandon everything and go with him I, I to become a ghostbuster right or whatever like it's not entirely clear what the right. purpose is uh, other than just that Paul has some kind of destiny um and so he pulls him out of school well I mean like you know encourages him to leave school with him and they go to like this abandoned what what was a monastery or something um, um no it was like a like a children's home right oh okay i couldn't remember what it was 
I seem um, like like I mean, a, a orphanage or something because Neil says he grew up there. An abandoned something or yes. other. Oh, okay, uh, orphanage. Um, yeah, I mean it has that creepy, you know, abandoned institutional feel to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they go and you know, uh, typical like, well, we're gonna split up. And you get the, wait, really? You know, what? Um, Always a great move. So I wasn't entirely clear who this guy is. I mean, okay, so there's the Natalie portion where Paul follows her, right? This is the girl that he's seen a few times now and follows her. And, like, she's starting to be able to affect the physical world similar to the more vampiric, you know, uber vamp looking Mm -hmm. uh, fade that we saw before. And she basically tries to kill Paul, I guess. Right. Like with electricity and puddles. Um, To which Neil kind of chastises him for being dumb to some degree, but uh, yeah. Anyway, so um, right, and it's not clear because we don't really know who she is or why Neil knows her. Like, does he not believe Paul because she thinks she she wouldn't kill him, or that she can't? You know, like because part of it seems to be right. like this increasing physicality that they have, like this ability to kind of break through and attack people. So it might just be, well, she's not capable of hurting you. But then the way he kind of talks to her, like, calls her by her name and seems to know who she is, it makes me wonder, does he think he knows her? Does he not believe that she would hurt Paul, even if she could? And that's sort of left kind of unresolved. Yeah. Well, all right, we'll get to Neil in a moment. But, like, as far as Paul goes, so the whole purpose there is to bring him before this is this guy a fade i think he's a fade he's like it he he says he was one of the first so which implies that the fade thing is somewhat recent like i mean i mean he's he's old he died in 1946 at the age of 70 so he's been there a lot but like does that mean there's only been fades since 1946 Right. Sounds like it, if that's the case. Yeah, I didn't necessarily even think of that, to be honest. But, yeah, like, you would think if, if like, fades were around since, like, human humanity, right. then, like, there would be many more Right, them, sure. Presumably. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, if it's only been around, like, a few decades, then... And, I mean, we also... Are, we don't know exactly, like, what what's the percentage of like ascendance to fades right like right. how how many souls do find the cracks that lead to paradise or whatever right. um but at the same time like yeah like it seems like there would be a lot more if if fades just happened to you know be no matter what mm-hmm. uh so yeah, so um 
Paul goes to this guy. So again, like if he's one of the earliest fades, like because we got Neil's description before of like you know after a while things just go bad, right? Like like all of these fades are basically a result not just of like being um like it's not just that they're like ghosts but the but like the length of time at which they are ghosts sort of eats away at them and you know makes them more and more evil or mm-hmm. or malicious i guess maybe is a better way to put it than evil um so like yeah like this guy this fade I, does he have a name i didn't catch his um name. i think it's eric i had to re- rewind to catch it but eric eric the fade um, <laughs> eric the fade oh well that's easy then um yeah so they go to eric here and you know he sort of like tests out you know paul and um they figure out that yeah he's he's got some power in him i Mm. guess uh we don't know precisely why i'm also not clear like so we know that the power heals people later we see sort of when um Paul gets trapped in an alley and then Neil comes up on his motorcycle and saves him. There's like, like this power is almost like shooting out of him, right? Mm -hmm. Like lightning kind of in a way. And it's not entirely clear if that affects the fades or not, like, or if so, how, um, which I think is interesting if it does, Mm -hmm. but, um, it's not it's not one hundred percent clear, I don't think. Yeah. Um But there's potential there, I guess, is is the key. Is that like there's some like Paul has some kind of power and to some extent some ability to maybe control that power, although he might not exactly know how to do that yet. Um and uh yeah, just where you know, how does this sort of fit in there? everything mm-hmm. um all right so uh the other pieces i want to talk about real quick with neil and then we can move on um i don't think the others will take quite as long hopefully. Mm-hmm. uh so there's the the scene with his therapist right and it's very like if you had to go away and like couldn't come back like like the therapist has got to be thinking he's talking about suicide right, right. Right, like based on that conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah, which I, his mom definitely does as well later when he brings. Yeah, it so. Like, and he, like, he, he I was saying, resolutely fails to see the double entendres of what he's saying here. You know. Well, and I was thinking about this because, like, on the one hand, like I'm sure, like that kind of therapy, like there's a certain level of, you know, privacy and whatever, like and trust like between therapist and patient. But like, on the other hand, it's like, he's still technically a minor. Mm. And so like, if he, if the therapist thinks that he's like about to 
kill himself or something or or at least in danger of doing so then you know wouldn't the therapist tell his mom and so like if the mom if you know paul's mom then comes in and sees him like cutting himself Mm -hmm. like yeah that's pretty disturbing um and yeah like we know what he's doing obviously because we saw like the healing and he's just sort of like testing it out but like thinking about it from a parent perspective i just like that mom i don't know she handles it way too cool sure uh in from my perspective of like and i mean i can understand like playing devil's advocate on that i can understand not wanting to overreact either because that might push you know him to do something Mm -hmm. that maybe you know she can avoid but but that like oh, oh okay so it doesn't it's not what it looks like well then you know what is it and it's just like i don't know that's so very it's a lot calmer i think than i would be sure in that situation sure um, no I, that's fair yeah yeah i yeah. mean yeah there's a thing there of of um they kind of want they're obviously playing with his the things that he's dealing with and struggling with as kind of metaphors for these things of of depression or self-harm or these sorts of things and so they're kind of acknowledging the parallelisms but at the same time um it doesn't fully they don't like have the mom and the therapist kind of fully react to those actual things the way that they might um like we're still kind of in the realm of metaphor. It never like breaks into they're convinced that he's actively suicidal. Um, right. Well, and sure. Uh, and then there's also the Sarah thing too, right? Like, like there's a sense that like right. this is maybe common among angelics that, or at least early in you know like before they sort of are fully in the know of what's going on Mm -hmm. that like sarah also saw these types of things uh presumably before she met mark because mark didn't know about i mean he's finding out now like through pictures and stuff but um yeah this idea that like maybe early on in her career as an angelic that or before she was even known to be an angelic that she was seeing these things and and thought to be crazy until, you know, maybe she could be let in on the secret and, Mm -hmm. you know, figure out a way to like convince others that she wasn't actually crazy or, or suppress her awareness to a degree that like, yeah, they thought that she was better or whatever. Right. Um, And we don't really know Sarah very well. So maybe we can't answer this, but like, when you have Paul kind of cutting his wrist and then you see the photos of Sarah with like bandages and everything, do you think that, um, is this her kind of reacting to her visions, like reacting in, in distress or self-harm or something? Or is this like Paul just an experiment? Like, is she another person that got caught 
testing her healing abilities and sort of, and, and her motivation was misunderstood or is this like a, a genuine reaction or coping mechanism to this ability or the things that she's seen and, and, or the horror of like, you know, the, of the whole fade situation. Yeah. Or we don't know, or there's like, where's the line between the two? Like, and then that's where we get into the the realm of the metaphor. Like, is it kind of both at the same time? Right. So, and that's kind of where I went, like, one, that was a lot of options that you just gave. <laughs> but also, like, yeah, I just don't know if there's enough, if there's a way to, like, figure all of that yeah. out. Um, yeah. So, anyway, all that to say, I guess, that just, like, yeah, with whatever, because he... It seems like he was already seeing a therapist before he start started seeing the fades, mm-hmm. right? Like, so it's not clear at all to me that like yeah. the fades are what's causing the need for therapy, um, but they're certainly not helping it either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and so you do get that sense of, yeah, maybe there's. Um, yeah some potential harm coming out of this because he's he's on such a different level now of you know what he knows and what he sees that you know others are just not necessarily going to believe him Mm -hmm. um especially if they can't see um other than mac who sort of does accept him in some way but then he he also gets some proof sure right so yeah, that helps. Um, he's in a, in addition to being sort of the loyal friend, he's also sort of in the know about, you know, what's going on. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So last 15 minutes here. Um, real quick with Mark. I mean, we already kind of mentioned that he's starting to find out about Sarah's past and sort of the mental institutions. Um, he goes to the police and is trying to find, tries to find out more. Um, he finds this picture of Sarah and Neil um, where she's in a wheelchair. And I don't like, it's not entirely clear, but like maybe this is like when she's getting out or something mm-hmm. or whatever, like maybe Neil's there to pick her up. Um but he knows Neil, which I don't think we knew before that he was aware of who Neil was. Um, or if if we knew he, if he so, knew Helen. Um, and I don't right. remember whether he ever mentions Neil or sees Neil. I don't remember I, the meeting in the previous episode. So I did. Yeah, I, I guess this is sort of confirmation that he's at least aware of the group. Um. That he's aware that Sarah has friends and one of them is Helen. Yeah. And maybe he also, well, now we get confirmation that he knows yeah. Neil's name at least, yeah. but don't necessarily know like what. 
Right. Does he know about all the supernatural goings on? We don't know that yet. Right. Um, Yeah. So, uh, and then the other scene with him, well, there's a couple, right? So the one night stand comes back and they have sex and that's all fun and happy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's the classroom scene where, uh, you know, he's teaching and trying to, like, I love that he's trying to get, like, you know, the typical thing where, like, you're trying to get students to think from, like, another perspective than your own. And he's just like, well, I don't believe that. And, you know, I how can I argue that? Um, but, you know, more importantly, um, Sarah is in the room mm-hmm. sort of watching and Paul comes in and sees Sarah and Sarah seems to notice, right? Like, like she's aware that Paul is able to see her. Um, uh, and then Mark kind of flips out on Paul for talking mm-hmm. and well, talking and being late. Um, but like, yeah. Yeah. Mark's nerves are kind of shot. Um, yeah, I kind of see that. And, and you know, coupled with the conversation with the principal, I guess, of, you know, how are things going and, and all yeah. of that based on um, Sarah's uh, missing, you know, as a missing person. Because they haven't found her body, right? Like, no. Because, no, uh, well, we I mean, it. We, we know that because... Uh, Neil burns it <laughs> with Helen's body. Right. Um, yeah, and, and watching it yeah. the first time, I kind of forgot about the Sarah Mark connection for an instant. And and when you come in and and Paul sees her, it feels like this, like oh, like yeah, she's there, like he's gonna see her around. You know, she's kind of interested in. But then you kind of it it it. it I remember then, oh, wait, she's not even there for Paul. She's there for Mark. Like, she's following Mark to his class. She follows him home when he's with the yeah. with the other woman again. So, it, it, like, I had this moment of briefly forgetting, like, her motivation. She might be kind of, I guess, interested in... But she sounds kind of like, hey, the apocalypse is coming. There's nothing we can do about it. She's, in some ways, kind of checked out from the the whole fight with the apocalypse thing. And it seems like Mm. her purpose is more following Mark and seeing what he's doing and kind of hovering and, and haunting him in a way. Um, Yeah. And it just so happens that Paul is in the class coincidentally. Right. Right. Um, Which goes along also with, I don't know if they were her last words, but, but that idea of, you know, where she's, she said, like, I should have paid more attention, right? Like, I should have spent more time with Mark because that's what it's really all about. Right. And so it's like now you have eternity, I guess, to, like, follow him, or at least until he dies, mm-hmm. like, to follow him around and, and yeah, figure that yeah. out. Um, but, yeah, she's not necessarily interested in Paul, although now that she's aware that Paul can sort of see mm-hmm. her, maybe... Mm-hmm she will be um so then finally just to talk about neil for a few minutes because you know we kind of end with him and 
I mean, we get all the interaction with him and Paul, but kind of wanted to start. Uh, well, so we mentioned the burning of the bodies and, and his house and yeah. So like a clear, you know, sort of cross between Viking funeral and, you know, burning your bridges, except the bridge is a house mm -hmm. and, you know, sort of that idea of leaving the past behind and not looking back. Um, so now uh, we find out that he knows who this fade that um, keeps appearing to, to Paul. Uh, Neil knows who this is. It's Natalie. Mm -hmm. um, we don't know how he knows her mm -hmm. or why or like what she is to him um my theory just based totally on apropos of almost nothing <laughs> uh is maybe they're siblings mm. like i don't know how long she's been dead right sure but but neil and natalie would totally be like sibling names sure, right? sure, like sure. both start with them um i mean not that everyone does that but that i could see that being sort of like a subtle connection mm -hmm. to like the two um she certainly seemed i mean yeah i don't know i like she's she's younger but like that would probably i assume that like the fades are like re they remain whatever age they were when they died, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, d I don't get the sense that they like continue to age as fades, right? Right. right. Um, but yeah, so he sees her uh, at the dance or at the ball and follows her, um, trying to find out like what she's doing and what she's up to, and she sort of leads him into this alley mm -hmm. where he gets ambushed mm -hmm. by a lot of other fades. Yeah. Uh, he, but one in particular shows up at the end, which is Helen. Right. Uh, who now seems to be pretty like if if fades are, you know, crappy because of their situation like Helen went crappy pretty quick it seems mm -hmm. like because she like just died sure <laughs> so like yeah that's interesting to me because I feel like the implication that Neil had had made to Paul was that like this is something that happens slowly over time mm -hmm. um and we don't get the sense that like Sarah has gone crappy mm -hmm. yet uh, I mean, certainly, if she continues to obsess over right. uh, Mark, then right. she I might could be see headed that, that happening. direction. Yeah, right. But like, but yeah, again, like you get that sense that it happened. But now, like, I don't know. Helen seems to be a bigwig in the Fade community. Like, or I don't know. Like, I it's hard to say. Like, this is just all impression based on. He got the crap kicked out of him, but not killed. Right, they didn't kill right, him. right, right. Which, which is, is also not looking good there at first. Um, so yeah, that's and, and, that's significant. Yeah, 
significant because it's the second time. Right? Because the first time is the creature blinding his mm-hmm. eye. Which presumably he could have killed them then. Mm-hmm. The creature could have killed uh, Neil at that point. And then now it's also like now you've got a group of these fades that beat the crap out of him but don't kill him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Helen showing up and like kind of being like, all right, tell me about this kid. Which I guess doesn't necessarily mean she's evil. Like maybe it's like, oh, tell me about him because maybe he can help us right. in some way. Right. But it seems more sinister than that. Just the way that she delivers it and all of that. So Right. And, and with him sort of, like you said, having just been sort of almost but not killed, you know, and kind of left bloodied on the ground and everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. Whether or not that's the truth, that's the impression it gives is like, she softened him up and then said, all right, tell me what you know. Right. Yeah, there's definitely a torture aspect. Uh, or implication, mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know entirely what to make of all that, but it's... interesting. And, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess we'll see where that leads. Um, and I guess just the final bit with um well i mean i think that's the literal ending but uh just before that is um paul leaving a voicemail right and with his sort of decision of no i i'm gonna be two people Mm. um you know i'm gonna do the clark kent thing and try to lead a normal life for my mom and whoever and then right be uh you know Ghostbuster on the side. Right, taking some inspiration from Jay's spinelessness <laughs> with Anna. Sure. You know, and it, like, yeah. Right, like you said, like, what could go wrong? This is always a great idea. Um, there's <laughs> in uh, uh, oh shoot, Into the Woods, um, Cinderella has a song and Cinderella's thing throughout into, into the woods is indecisiveness. She can't figure out what she wants. And there's a whole thing about um, her dithering about her decision as her shoe falls. And does she stay with it? Does she go to the prince? Does she go home? Does she, she doesn't know what she wants. And then she finally, her decision is not to decide. And like, she's able to comfort herself with like, well, I made a decision um, and kind of talks herself into that being her her decision for the day like this is yeah i've i've made my decision it's that i'm not going to choose something and something's just going to happen and Mm. and there and i've done my my part so paul yeah paul kind of reminds me of his triumph in that like "Ah, i figured it out um i cracked the code which is not to decide anything so um right you know and then whatever happens will happen. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, so I guess we'll, we'll see how well that non decision works for him. And, uh, yeah. And I, I guess we'll see, uh, what happens with Neil too. Yep. 
He's he's got some healing to do. Yeah, and he's looked better. Um, great, and we'll be back with uh, some more Angel as well in the last like what five episodes or something here. Yeah, yeah, five five left. Crazy. Yep. All right. Sounds good. See you then. Thank you.